Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, I'm Horticulture Week editor Matthew Appleby and this is the Horticulture Week podcast and today I'm with landscape architect, broadcaster and writer Bunny Guinness. Now I've been really looking forward to doing this podcast because Bunny is one of the best known names in horticulture. She's known for her work as a designer, for Gardener's Question Time on BBC and for The Telegraph and she recently spoke out backing Pete and signed the late Peter Seabrook's open letter calling for a a more open debate on the subject as the government seeks to ban it. Now, Bunny, I last saw you at the the sad occasion of Peter Seabrook's funeral where it was snowing, but it's spring now and um, things are picking up and I guess you're you're very busy with all your media and uh, landscape design work at the moment. Yeah, we we are very busy. It's more design. That's the bread and butter. Uh, media is like a little fringe on the edge, and I'm not not particularly good at. it. I failed English O level, so that tells you about my journalistic abilities. But I do enjoy I do enjoy writing. I have to say. Well, you've written some fantastic stuff recently, and uh, not least on on the Pete issue, and you've really got stuck into into that and and stuck your head above the parapet. So. You signed the letter that, that Peter wrote, and uh, how did that come about? And, and why did you sort of stick your neck out there? Um, I, I think now with social media, everybody is getting very wary of sticking their neck out. And um, because I don't do Twitter and I'm pretty hopeless at social media, I, I don't have that, you know, it doesn't worry me particularly because I don't know what's going on. Maybe that you would say that's ignorant and stupid. But um, my, a lot of my family are involved in horticulture or have been involved in horticulture. And um, about four or five years ago, the Pete issue started. And I remember having a long conversation with Professor Jack Riley, who I think knows more about Pete, uh, um, all the different facets of it, the environment, the use of it, uh, the reclamation of peatlands, preserving them, than perhaps anyone. And it is the most complicated subject. And you see all these figures banded around and so many are inaccurate. 
And really, um, the long and short of it all is I don't think many people really understand it. And it worries me. And a lot of people sent um, emails to me and things after I stuck my head up about the parabit saying, you know, we've tried all these substitutes and they don't work. You know, these are these are people, commercial horticulturists who have to make a living. And they're saying things like pantechnicans of Dutch plants are going to be zooming over to the UK because our growers are growing with their hands tied behind their back. And the others will just zoom over here and do it. And and the substitutes, a lot of the substitutes have a far worse carbon footprint, like the coir and things like that. And so really, I think this is this is being run by people who don't understand it. And they think it's a lovely hit to say, let's ban peat, because most people think of a peat bog as being sort of decimated. And it and it does, you know, it pulls at the heartstrings and we can understand why. But they don't understand the proper argument. And I think in a debate like this that really does affect the horticultural industry, I think you should try and get the facts out there. Jack Riley said to me, he, he's not a writer, he's a scientist, and he looks at it in a very scientific way. And, um, you know, he likes the environment. He's probably more passionate about that than many of these Twitterers. Um, but he said he really didn't want to get involved because in in the so in the um, media element to start with because he just knew it was just dreadful to tackle. But he has now come out about it and um, and and you know try and educate people about it. And I just hope um, that the government don't see this as an easy way to win votes and they do actually delay the date so we can actually have use Pete for longer until they find a good substitute, because otherwise it really isn't going to benefit the climate, um, biodiversity or anything. You know, it, it's such a tiny amount that we use in horticulture, 0.54% of the area. Um, and this thing, you know, there's massive amounts of peat bogs, which people, over the years, they've been using for fires and things like that. And they nibble around the edges of these lovely areas of raised peat bogs, just for domestic uses and other uses, and um, that, then that area drains, it lowers the water table. Um, and so then you get heather coming in and then you get birch coming, coming in. So the whole peat bog changes. And, and Jack Riley pointed out that if we actually address that, those areas that are just uh, have been ruined, really, if we can address that by putting a levy on a litre of peat, and he suggested a mountain, worked out the figures, and it was quite, I think it was one pea per litre, if we did that on all those areas that aren't being dug for peat but have been ruined in the past, then we could restore massive, massive more. And it would only cost something like £30 million and that would restore all those areas, which is like vastly more than the 0.054% um, that we're using to dig peat. And that would be the most logical answer, really. But they're looking at a quick hit, the government, I think, and um, I, I don't. I, I some people say they've already decided, and all this, um, you know, the date for the arguments has now closed. But uh, the, the thought is that they've made their mind, and they're actually not going to consider anything that the um, horticulturists have put to them, uh, which is really sad. I think you could be right. You know, we 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 just run a, a big piece with with Jack Riley because I think you know it is important to to show two sides of the argument, and we don't 
really hear any anything from people who want to keep peat but we we did a survey of our readers and 76 percent of them do and they're professional horticulturalists but they are you know the silent majority really you know if you look on on in the media and and in social media as you say 99 percent of people are you know very keen on 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 the change um but um do you think it's realistic that 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 um the government will will you know not carry on down this path to getting rid of peat. Do you, do you think it's the government has gone too far down with the statements they've already made that they they won't backtrack now and they will have to do what they've said they're going to do? It worries me. It really. I I have no idea how the government work, but from other areas that you see where they've made um, changes in the law on certain things, um, it, they seem to do it without proper knowledge of what they're doing. You know this is really going to, I think, hit the horticultural industry very badly and private gardeners. I mean, so many professional gardeners came back to me after my bit in the Telegraph and said, you know, I've tried all these substitutes. They are not consistent. You cannot get the results. And it's, I think it's going to put people off gardening, to be honest, because they'll try. You know, it's quite difficult sowing seeds if you're a newbie. And they're going to try on these other substrates and have no luck. And I, it worries me they won't go on. And even people like Charles Dowding, um, who I really respect, he's, he's tried using other media and he said they are just not consistent for sowing and growing. And so he still uses peat, but he uses the stuff that you sieve from rivers and he adds it to compost. But I mean, I, lots of people, gardeners who I really respect have tried, including myself, but they've tried in a much m- more um, extensive fashion than I've tried and they find it very difficult. And, and when you think the carbon footprint of these other things are, are, are equally bad, if not worse than peat, you think, what is going on? And now because of Russia and Ukraine... Finland is having to um, use peat again, start digging peat again for their power systems because they can't get any timber from Russia. So, so you know, what, what we're doing is quite small compared to the rest of the world. And if we did it intelligently, like Jack Riley says, like put the surcharge on peat, I carried on looking for a better substitute, so our horticultural industry could use it for a bit longer, then I think that is definitely the best, most sensible approach for the environment, for horticulturalists, for the planet, you know, the whole caboose, really. But just, just playing devil's advocate, for amateur gardeners, does it matter if they don't get professional results? As long as they get some results, if it sort of saves the planet, what, what, does, it, what does it matter if, if they don't get like 100% germination? Um, but it's not going to save the planet. <laughs> you know, the amount of peat that we're using in a compost is very small anyway. I, I agree, you know, uh, but it just it worries me a bit they might be put off. That's what people have been saying to me. When I've heard professionals trying these and they get such poor results, it's like if you have a recipe book, don't you, and you do a Dealey Smith recipe, it always works. And then because it's been tried and tested and everything. And then when you have a another recipe that's, that is not so prescriptive and it doesn't work... You just think, oh, God, I won't bother with that again. It, it does. It affects you and you don't carry on trying. I, I think it is important. I, I want the nation to garden. I want them to be successful and get the enjoyment and everything that people who use um, do a lot of horticulture get from it. And, and I think if they get disappointing results, they will either just buy in plug plants and plants and things like that, which, again, isn't great for the planet. It's much better to grow your own right from the scratch. It's cheaper. It's more efficient. And it is easy to get good results if you do it correctly. 
you think that gardening, though, has got some reputational damage recently from, from the continued attacks from people like Monty Don and across a wide range of, of gardeners and people beyond gardening saying basically gardening isn't green? It's, it's, uh, it, it needs to really look at it, how environmentally friendly it is because it's, it's not doing what it says it does. I think it's a lot greener than it used to be. You know, um, when you think what the old boys used to do to their lawns and, you know, kill the worms, mow it to death, uh, add all these sort of fertilizers and chemicals throughout the season. We we ha- we are changing, but like with everything, you know, we are. It takes time to get through. And I think if you, when you speak to someone from the Centre for Alternative Technology or something, they and you say to them, "What is the greenest thing I can do with my garden?" Um, and they will say, "Well, if you just spend time in your garden growing things rather than going out and burning fuel and spending money on." plastics and god knows what if you just make your garden the wonderful space that you want to be in if you're lucky enough to have one that is probably the best thing a gardener can do um and um i'm sure you know i remember when i was at reading you know many moons ago doing horticulture they had commercial orchards there and they had these spray regimes that was sort of hitting them with like 30 spray hits a year all different things um, and then they said, right, we're going to stop it. And so they stopped. And the next year, it was dreadful yields. And then they picked up over the next couple of years as the ecosystem changed um, and the bugs came in in balance with the things that ate the bugs and things like that. So, But that was a long time ago. But we are moving swiftly to that way, I think. And when I ring up my um, commercial supplier of sprays and things, um, DJX uh, in Spalding, they have lots of um, insecticides uh, and chemicals which are actually, you know, friendly. They're biological and they're more and more of them are working that way, partly because we're all going green and partly because of the cost of these oil-based chemicals and things, you know, petroleum-based. So it, we are looking to other systems and, and I'm sure uh, we are probably behind people like Germany, uh, which are much greener than us, but we are catching up and we are all being more aware. And I do think, although I think Monty Don is bad on peat, I'm glad he's getting the nation gardening. Um, but I just wish he'd do it in a, wish he'd learn a bit more about the peat argument. <laughs> um, no, no, indeed. Well, you know, you're probably the most influential person who is backing peat now um, that, that peat has gone. Um, I wouldn't say that. I hope, I hope I'm not because I feel I'm pretty I, I uninfluential. Might, I think you might be. <laughs> but because uh, uh, certainly one who's, who's speaking out on behalf of it, um, I mean, I know the RHS aren't, for instance, and, and the trade bodies are being a bit kind of mealy-mouthed about it. But in a, in a nutshell, what, what would you like to see? What would you like the government to do in an ideal world? I would like them to do... I'd like them to speak to Jack Riley, number one. That would sort them out, I think. Um, and I would like to do what he... Proposed to put a one p a litre levy on a surcharge on peat, which would generate thirty million an annum, and then all these areas—I can't remember the hectare of these bogs that have been destroyed by people nibbling around the edges or have coniferous coniferous plantations or whatever—all these areas to be restored with that money to inc- uh, increase the biodiversity back to what it was and at the same time allow companies like Westland that have put in, is it 40 million research on looking for peat-based, uh, peat-free compounds that are as good 
to put into the compost and so let them have a bit more breathing space so we can get a really good product um, so that UK horticulture industry can hold its own and it will hopefully, I mean, the, the, the rest of the world, I think, are going to increase their peat use by 50% in the next 50 year, in, by 2050, I think it is, 30 years' time. So they're going to be charging away, producing more and more plants, and we're going to be on the back foot. So I want to redress that balance by giving us a few more years to get it right. It is expensive, it's difficult, it's not easy. Um, and then I hope, hope then the horticulture industry can continue to be the best in the world, in the UK, and we won't put lots of growers out of business. No, brilliant. Well, it's good to hear some free speech on it because I think, you know, horticulture, like so many areas of society, has kind of hit a kind of cancel culture on this. And, uh, you know, people just refuse to listen at all to anything they don't agree with which is obviously not not great and one way you're getting your 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 voice out there is through youtube you've got a youtube channel so how's that going Oh, that's interesting. Um, I, I really was a social media dinosaur. So just before lockdown, I thought I'll, I ought to do something. I can't do Twitter. My daughter does my Instagram, is it for me? Um, but I thought I ought to try. And, and, and people you write for or, or whatever, they always like you to be on social media. Um, so I, I started it and I'm really enjoying it, actually, because it's when you do telly, as you know, you know, you spend hours doing, you know, five minutes television and it's all pictures and sound bites and stuff like that. But with YouTube, I love the directness. You can get your point across very simply, very inexpensively. Um, and uh, it's quite fun to do. And so it, so so no, I, so I'm really quite enjoying it. And what I'm finding I'm learning a lot from it because you get a rapport with your subscribers. And, you know, you'll have people from all around the world say, well, actually, in Hong Kong, we do it this way. And so I'm learning an awful lot from it because there's not a lot of... Inter we, we are very um, isolated by nature in the UK, I think, or have been. And now to have this sort of communication line with horticulturists and gardeners all around the world um, is fabulous. And you pick up loads of tips. Um, so I'm really enjoying it. Um, but um, the Pete one was a bit of a one-off because it was controversial. But interestingly, um, the hate mail from that is far less uh, than the pros for that. I've, I don't think I've got any thumbs down. I think they're all thumbs up on the Pete one. And I think it is because people do like to hear the arguments. And I'm, I'm a big YouTube fan. I mean, loading the dishwasher. My husband and I are forever arguing about loading the dishwasher. Aren't we pathetic? But you can have it. There's a YouTube video on how to load the dishwasher. Not done by me because I do it very badly. But, you know, you get the instant information in a very easy to consume way. And, it, and it's quick and effective. And there are often contributors out there that really know their subject. And that's what I like. They're not presenters. They're people who've you know worked in horticulture all their lives or whatever and so they give you the facts as it is it's not just smiles and nice looking people and sunshine you know what i mean which television can be a bit no no that's, that's a bit of a glimpse into the into the, the guinness household there but one one of the subject i wanted to uh to uh ask you about was a, quite a controversial thing where the rhs recently came out and said that slugs and snails aren't pests anymore. And I know on Gardener's Question Time in the, in the past, you've been quite outspoken on pests. 
uh, in the garden. So what do you reckon about that RHS new stance? Oh, I, I think it's hilarious, really, um, because uh, anyone who's grown anything knows that you have things that come and eat what you're growing that you don't like or destroy it. Um, now, slugs and snails, OK? Now, I love sn- slugs and snails. They do a fantastic thing in the environment. They break down debris and dead things and, and turn them back into the soil and things. So they are wonderful. When they come to my vegetable garden, they're not wonderful. They are a pest. What, what is it, the terminology the RHS suggested we called them instead? Was it friends or something? No, I don't know. Wildlife, maybe? I'm not sure. No, it's know. some not... other... Um, I think it's something like... I, I, some other term, but it's hilarious, really, because it's, it's like a weed, you know. A weed is a weed when it's in the wrong place, and it's the same with a pest, isn't it? But we still call a weed a weed. Maybe they're going to change that. But the pests are a pest when they come into my garden. So with the slugs and snails, I mean, it's quite simple. I have a copper, big copper strip. Has to be quite, has to be a certain size, doesn't it, to stop them coming in? Um, and um, uh, and I deal with them when they come and eat my crops. Do you deal with the pests when they come and eat your crops, or do you say hello, darling? I hug them, bunny. Come and have some <laughs> lettuce. <laughs> You're welcome here. Hug a slug. That's what I say. But it's different for professionals. Uh, they they need to have you know, a, a, a regime. They need to have, a, have a, a business. But again, for amateurs, does it matter if you get a few nibbled Well, it crops? is not a few, is it? You grow... If you, if you don't harden off your lettuces and you put them out, um, uh, in my garden, if I didn't harden them off and I put them out and I didn't take any precautions, and I, I watch them, I think that is the best method. You watch, because you might not have slugs there or snails or aphids, so you have to watch them. And if you see they are being eaten or whatever, or attacked, then I do something. I'll put a cover over, I'll put copper down, or I might use um, slug pellets, but not not the metaldehyde, obviously, because they're banned now. Um, but I will take precautions because I'm growing the lettuce, spending time and effort on it, and I want to enjoy them. Uh, and they can have their part of the world, and I have my little bit. Um, because otherwise, if they didn't survive, I would be put off and I wouldn't bother to grow them, and then I'll be buying them from the supermarket and they wouldn't be so tasty, they wouldn't be so fresh, they wouldn't be so good for me, and um, I wouldn't be using my land as well. No, that's a good... So, uh, to, to me, it's a no-brainer. I, I garden to grow things that I like, and uh, I think the pest situation does get worse and worse, doesn't it? You know, there's so many more around. Um, so you, you have to be quite canny and watch them. No. But if I don't have any pests, then they're left to grow freely. That's fine. You know, it does depend on the crop. Yeah, that's all, all uh, good points well made. Now, um, Chelsea Flower Show is coming up quite soon and you, you um very high profile at Chelsea um, a, a few years ago, but uh, not been there for a little while. Um, Chelsea somewhere where you'd ever go back? Uh, my husband said to me after about the third Chelsea, I think if you ever do it again, I'll divorce you. And I think I managed to get away with another three or... No, how many have I done? Eight or something or nine, is it? So I did manage to get a- away with a few more. Um, but uh, to be honest, um, the amount of money you need now for those big gardens and it is so much that um, it, 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 you have to get the sponsor and they are getting thinner and thinner on the ground. And it is hugely hard work. And I almost think that YouTube is a better platform for me now because you can see gardens I've designed on there and things like that. Um, so I, I think that is far better than 
Chelsea. And I did get a bit hacked off with the judging. You know, you do... It, it, I feel that that is all... Um, a li- you know, we had all men judges for ages. And, they, and one sponsor said to me, we don't like having women designers because the male judges don't give them such good medals. <laughs> and they are getting better now. But there have been quite a few years when I've judged. And I've judged, I've assessed, assessed I've been a the technical person that I've done most phases of it, but I have been many, quite a few years when I've been the only woman judge and I've had to really fight for other women designers that they were going to give lower medals. So, but judging is always subject to criticism. But um, I, recently I found that some of the results just make me think, what? And I think when you put all that effort into it, and I saw quite a few people in this situation in the, set, in the one in the autumn, and then they give them a really drossy medal. You think, you know, these, this is just so wrong. <laughs> Why do male judges give worse, worse medals to, to women, do you think? Well, that's what one sponsor said to me. He, he, and one of the highest profile sponsors that had done it for many years, he said to me, we have found that if we have a woman designer... Uh, probably maybe because most of the judges then used to be definitely all male. They were, uh, you know, very high proportion. I don't know what they were last year. And there is that thing um, uh, uh, that they did tend to give them lower lower medals. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty controversial for you, isn't it? But that's what they said to me. And when I then looked and I observed that, and then when I was actually on the panel and they were gunning for a really good female designer and they they were going to give her a a drossy medal and I had to really fight for it um, to get her the goal, which I thought she deserved. I mean, I could have been wrong, but that was my feeling. I I thought, well, maybe maybe they're right. Maybe they don't like the women sort of coming here too much. Is that because they don't get some sort of aspects of of, of femaleness in their design or is it just sort of blind prejudice? I think it's probably a bit of both because there is a difference. I reckon if I walk around a lot of the gardens, maybe not so much now, but maybe a few years ago, you could tell uh, whether it was done by a male or female, I think. Um, and when I did the Horatio's Garden, Oswestry Street, for um, uh, the Horatio's charity, a lot of people said to me, because up to then there'd been all male designers, they said, you can tell this is done by a woman because it's got a much more female aspect to it um and and i i I do think that that women and men design wise do design quite differently actually but i think you know you do get very ballsy female designers that do very striking more designs as well i mean i'm getting into very difficult water here aren't i but um i i think there is a difference do you do you notice that when you see them um i think there possibly is and there certainly are quite a lot more women designers at the big shows now than they used to be. There used to be hardly any, and uh, you know that you know people used to say that is a sponsor's thing. They would choose a choose a man because they thought they'd get a better medal. You you you're right on that one, I think. Um, but uh, someone like Sarah Ebley talks about how you know there's less women who sort of design full time in that kind of like very competitive way, desperate for medals. I mean, do you think that's true? Um, I think that when I did my landscape architecture course, and when was that, 30, 40 years ago, that we, that we women were very thin on the ground on the course. Um, but I think, I think what it is that Chelsea takes a different type of thing because you've got to get your sponsor. I mean, Sarah now has got a really good track record, so they would be flocking to her, I would think. But generally, um, to get a sponsor, you've got to get out there, you've got to hit the phones, you've got to chat up people, you've got to... Uh, educate them into why it's good to grow a garden at Chelsea and things like that. And I think the men are much 
better at that sort of um, it's sort of Alan Sugar approach, isn't it? You know, I'll do you a garden, I'll get you a gold. It's wonderful. You'll get lots of publicity. Women aren't aren't so good at that, and it and it take and it's a big punt, isn't it, to do that, um, to find the sponsor, and then to have that whole year the lead in sorting it out and designing it and things like that. So it is hard work, um, and um, I can see that's why women. Would perhaps not, and also you're putting your neck on your line. Don't on the line. Don't forget you're showing the design, and uh, showing your wares, and that's quite a um, that that takes quite a bit of nerve, I think. No, well, indeed. I mean, and and you indeed, Bunny, have shown quite a bit of nerve by sticking your neck on the line on on issues such as the P issue, and maybe even you know women and and design and 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 maybe even the slugs thing too but it's been really good talking to you and in our horticulture week podcast right at the end we always ask all our guests if you're stuck on a desert island what plant would you like to have with you what would be your favorite plant if you were going to be marooned if you got um, anything that springs to mind well, I would tell you a different plant for every month of the year, to be honest, which would bore everyone senseless if I said that. But looking out of my office window, um, I've got a quince tree, Cydonia oblonga. And they are wonderful trees because the leaves are just coming out now. And then um, we'll have the grey felted foliage, as you see the undersides. Then we'll have the lovely white flowers. Then you get this... Um, uh, amazing golden orbs as fruit that hang down and then you get the beautiful winter outline um, but I planted the ones I'm looking at now uh, maybe 33 years ago or something and I didn't know much about quince blight then so if I was planting them now I'd do Cydonia oblonga Serbian gold which is more blight resistant and, and hardly gets those black speckledy bits that you get later on in a, in a dry season but I think that's what I'd do I'd have a quince tree and I'd sit under it um, and I wouldn't eat the fruit, so I'd be a bit stupid. So I would lose weight, but you know that's fine. Um, <laughs> I should have I should have had an apple or something that I could actually benefit from from a desert island. But no, I think it would be a quince for, for this week anyway. As I look at the quince out of my window. Brilliant, no, well, the quince that sounds lovely, and it's been lovely talking to you, Bunny. So I'm Matthew Appleby, Horticulture Week editor. I've been with Bunny Guinness, and this is the Horticulture Week podcast. Subscribe to or follow Horticulture Week podcasts via Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts or your preferred podcast platform. Once again, thank you very much to Bunny Guinness and goodbye till next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.